What's up, stranger? Hey, not much, man. How are you doing? Good, man. Just plugging along at the office. Awesome. Uh, so remember how I told you I was going through pretty much all the emails we started receiving from the time we started the podcast and now? Yeah. Okay, so do you recall the person that was calling themselves A that was sending us encrypted emails? I do. Yeah, so at the time, I think we thought that was pretty wild, and there wasn't really a way to confirm anything in them. But as I was reading back over, a lot is clicking now with more recent information we've come across. So I just wanted to go over some of that with you. Um, So let's see here. So after I went back over them, it's like there's this common figure emerging between all the theories and sources, the man called O. Yes. Okay. So that would be the guy that supposedly the woman called S uh, used to go after Rhonda and Kristen for maybe stealing drugs. We're not sure. Uh, yeah. But wasn't there a rumor that he was connected to uh, another person being missing too? Yeah, that's what I was getting to. So in the email, he was less focused, or it could be a she. We don't really know. They were less focused on. Rhonda, Kristen, and Megan, and claiming more so that this guy was also responsible for Abby's disappearance. Right. Yeah, so that's really interesting because if that were to actually be true, he would be the one common link, uh, perhaps, between the majority of the women we've been talking about. Yeah, aside from the proximity of all the, you know... Yeah, exactly. There's the proximity to it. He lived right around there. There would be the drug connection as well, potentially. Um, And then the emails go as far as to bring up accusations and questions about how law enforcement was handling the cases, which, uh, you know, we can't really confirm that or not right now. But I thought that was interesting. Wow, that, that was like a year ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it'll be a year ago this coming February. Wow. Yeah, so... I definitely think that's worth looking back into. Um, and another reason is because this email came before we ever released any of the information we had about the woman called S theory. So unless this person is tied to the same people that theory came from, uh, it seems like we're getting the same name from multiple sources now. Wow. Yeah. So, and then the other thing it made me think about was, you know, you and I would always go back and forth in the debate. Like, is this actually a serial predator or uh, is it just really over the drugs, like a killing related to that theft? But Or this, it could be a mixture of both, maybe. Exactly, yeah. This is making me think now, is it pretty much a serial predator used as what some people have said, a hitman for situations like this. Um, I don't think it would be that crazy that in a community like that you would have a predator like that, but also um, very loose criminal organizations tied to narcotics. So maybe they do fit together somehow in the mold of this story. I'm not sure. It it definitely kind of seems like that, and especially since the person that reached out to us encrypted the emails, it kind of tells me that they're, I don't know, Either they're somewhat tech-savvy and they have a little bit more information than, than what they gave, or, I don't know, it, it, it's very peculiar that they knew how to encrypt emails when they sent it to us before we even mentioned anything about knowing about anyone's identity or stuff like that. Yeah, I was going to ask you, is there any chance we could ever actually discern who they're coming from, or is that a complete loss? Um, 
it really depends on where it's coming from and if it's actually encrypted. Last I recall, everything was really tight and really encrypted to the point where it was untraceable. So unless we have some hacker friends, I, I really don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm not sure if we do, but and we kept trying to get back in touch with them, but eventually they sent us all the information they wanted to, and then there was just silence from that point on. So, yeah, I completely forgot about that. To be honest with you, like just because they just kind of went cold on us after giving us information. Yeah, maybe this episode coming up will spark them into talking to us again potentially, or uh, at least use some of their information for the better. If other people are thinking or know the same things. Yeah, I mean, now that you mention it, it does seem like there's a lot of commonality in the story, like the same story that we've heard from various sources. Yeah, so I, I think at this point it's worth at least exploring. I agree. All right, man. Well, I'm going to go over the transcripts one more time so we can get ready for what's coming up next, but I'll be with you soon. Nice. Sounds good, man. Thank you. All right. See you. Bye. Due to the extreme sensitivity of the cases, we've decided to censor the names mentioned in the transcripts. The following email exchange took place between February 18th, 2019 and March 1st, 2019. Just found your podcast. I've been researching Abby's case since its inception. I'm a former intel analyst for the DOD and have utilized tools and skills that I've used for many years to develop a link analysis that suggests is responsible for Abby's disappearance and the subsequent disposal of her remains. He has recently, in the past 12 months, fled to Philadelphia where his family. At last check, he was evading location by law enforcement and his family ceased communications with me. I spoke to many local residents, family, and friends on the condition of anonymity during this process. In my pursuit of finding out what happened to Abby, I was made aware of Cynthia Jacobs' disappearance. Her family, Facebook named Terry Ray, last employed in Walmart in Lumberton, who is Cindy's sister-in-law, knows who is responsible for that crime, a man named I'm not a place where I can pull my charts and data sets to send to you, but wanted to offer this information, along with my gratitude for bringing attention to these cases. I would also need to scrub my charts for identifying information, which would take me a little time. I believe, though, only by single-source information that there is a local law enforcement officer responsible for covering up or destroying evidence in several cases that you've mentioned, local to several homicides in Robinson County. I will be happy to further communicate with you, but only anonymously, as this is a very dangerous area and the people involved in these crimes has zero regard for human life. I was able to make initial strides by reaching out to local residents who sought to relocate from the very dangerous downtown Lumberton area. Feed a line on who was dealing drugs at any given time and seek out phone records of acquaintances of Abby's, it's pretty easy to track. would be a good person to start with. I've seen photos of she and Abby doing drugs within 48 hours of her disappearance based on the photo's metadata. After my investigation, I learned that those who write and produce the Case Acquaint podcast out of Greenville, North Carolina, came to the same conclusion about who was responsible for Abby's disappearance. Please heed my advice to very carefully watch your back. No one should be trusted in that town. There's too much fear, exploitable poverty, and corruption, though the corruption will quickly die in the daylight. There is so very much to be exposed. Best wishes, A. A, I really appreciate you reaching out to us and of course respect your desire to remain anonymous. Would you be comfortable sharing your work, source information, and said photos of Abby in the future? I'd be very interested to see and it could potentially help a lot. We will contact 
like you said. We're familiar with all the names you mentioned, but this helps add to the puzzle. We've been cautious and plan to keep it that way. Glad for the reminder on that note. Looking forward to speaking with you soon. Would you ever consider a call to talk about some of this? Best wishes as well. Brett. Hi, Brett. Due to my continued work consulting for various agencies on cases here and abroad, I would be happy to talk or meet, but with mutually agreed upon anonymity. I'm sure as journalists, you understand the necessity of such due to relationships I've developed in this case and others. Not speak willingly, as she is still or possibly has recently been released from house arrest. However, the FBI may or may not release her interview information with a very specific FOIA. Also, please note, who I reference as being involved with destroying evidence. He will seek to preserve his reputation, though he is unquestionably, in my opinion, involved with the wrong turns as cases made. He is not the bad guy here. He's just covering up for that guy. There is someone who was or is financially benefiting from the continuation of the commission of the crimes against these women. The concept is fairly simple. If you look at it as the involved person seeking to utilize organized crime tax for personal financial gain, example, how many local law enforcement do you think you would have to pay off to ensure the successful trafficking of your narcotics along the I-95 corridor? Answer, only one or two. The beautiful thing about this area is that no one spends the time or money to perpetuate disinformation. I've started to scrub my charts for you. Should have some good stuff for you in a week or so, as I have a day job that is demanding of my time and resources. It will be up to you to explain somewhat complex intelligence analysis in a way that the general public can digest. After listening to your first few episodes, however, I have a great deal of confidence in your abilities. With respect and continued caution, A. A. While working on your charts, would you be comfortable setting up a phone interview for the podcast? We can distort your voice unless you are able to on your end ahead of time. I would just like to use that as a preliminary jump into the info you might be providing soon. Thanks again for reaching out and totally understandable about time issues. I also have a job above and beyond all of this, so I get it. Hope you're well. Brett. Hey, Brett. Before I send you info, I need to scrub every piece of metadata from every single supporting piece of evidence. It is time-consuming, and as I mentioned, I have a day job and other obligations. So glad you have Dr. G's guidance. He knows his shit. It will be a huge asset. I'm happy to hear you're going with his wisdom, vice the typical Douglas Clemente approach. You may also consider seeking out someone who might be adept at cyber exploitation, someone who could help you obtain phone records, texts, etc. without compromising their currently used sources and methods or open sourcing it would be invaluable. A college student maybe? Just a shot in the dark and a bit of hearkening back to my college days with that. Some notes. It's easy to find. I called and verified his phone number not that long ago. I made it hapless sounding enough that it wouldn't have spooked him. He's a bad man. Be really careful with him. He's dated and lived with her drug dealer after Abby disappeared. At one point, she shared a Facebook post with Abby about missing and tagged prior to them dating in his most recent incarceration. To answer your question, I meant the type of cases and rank and caliber of agents. More to follow and fucking cheers to being on the right track. This is so long overdue. Also, I had never heard of the Facebook groups you had mentioned in your most recent episode until now. I have to say, it made me smile to hear you read X's post. I know I've said it before, but corruption truly does die in the daylight. A. Brett, I'm sure you're watching the news. No details or info on whether it is related, so take this with a giant grain of salt, but note the location in relation to the prior addresses of J. W. and attachment. You will recognize the location of that bottom pen based on what I've heard so far. 
This most recent discovery is likely to have to do with proximity to I-95, but just the thought. Piqued my interest, though it could be nothing. Dr. G may have interesting insight given his area of SME. Also, I'm sure we will hear in due time from someone if they make an ID. Also, I wanted to mention social media showed back up after being gone for, I believe, a few months within the past few weeks. I need to look further into this, but I'm working on charts for you still. His phone has showed up in PA recently. To be honest, the past eight to 10 months, I've turned my attention elsewhere, but I'm looking back now as I am able. SOCMED and cell phone could be a family member, I suppose. He was incarcerated, if I recall. Sorry for my confusion on that. Did you ask LEOS who, what targets they sought warrants for pinreg TNTs on? I'm trying to think of questions that may be sharp without being pointed that might help, or that may actually answer without realizing what value it has. You guys are savvy, I'm sure you got this. Here's my only problem with an interview. I've become significantly more identifiable if you hear my voice. I would consider recording an interview, if you'd like, if you could agree to have it transcribed and have the transcript read by someone else and the original recording destroyed. Or we could do it by email and you could have it read after the fact, or we could meet up and do the same. I've cleaned up distorted voices on a number of occasions. It's not easy, not admissible, but also not impossible, and doesn't account for tone, cadence, etc. I'm still a bit too close for comfort. To give you an idea, I disguise my physical appearance and have a car rented by someone else in a different location before I ever get off I-95 in Robinson County. There are so many things as I read back through my information. Yesterday, for example, I was recalling that I read a police report a month or so after the FBI drained the pond off Alamac Road looking for Abby. Someone who was out looking for dirt bike trails or something less than a mile from that pond found what were ultimately determined to be animal remains in the woods along with needles and condoms and clothes and beer bottles down with a short, well-worn path. This is clearly a spot where a great deal of criminal activity takes place regularly and had recently because of the open bottles that had beer in them that would have evaporated within a short time in the NC summer heat. But law enforcement was otherwise unaware of this spot. A civilian found it that close to such an important spot that bothered me considerably. I hope you guys are able to corner the Robesonian. They publish at the PD's request slash behest. They aren't journalists, they're propagandists. It's mind-blowing. This one became verbose and sent with my apologies. My preference is to speak in verified certainties only, but well, I'm sure you understand. A. That was the last communication we received from A. I sent him a series of emails after that point, and his reply was silence. We've been trying to get in touch with him ever since. While most of our commentary in this episode has centered around the connections between the emails and the man called O and his potential involvement in the deaths and disappearances of Kristen, Rhonda, Megan, and subsequently Abby, there are a few more notes of interest in the emails that we also wanted to cover. So, for instance, the law enforcement officer that A alleged was involved in some sort of cover-up regarding these crimes. I was actually in contact with him long before the podcast started when we were still in our research and interview phase uh, regarding his participation, potentially. Initially, he was down and he wanted to help us out, but then later returned and said he was actually going to be on medical leave and that he couldn't help. I thought this was odd because shortly after, I would see him on TV, involved in press conferences, and working in investigations 
investigations that were ongoing regarding our cases or others in the Lumberton area. So either he didn't want to talk, decided he didn't want to participate, or perhaps there was something more nefarious going on. We can't really say at this time. And just another odd detail about that chapter in our beginning. I remember in the emails, he would always call me Mr. Brett, not Brett or Mr. Andrews. So that's really neither here nor there. I just thought it was an odd way of speaking. Anyway, moving on. As far as the allegation about law enforcement involvement with narcotics trafficking on the part of A. While we can't really corroborate that particular claim at this time, if you think back to episode six, we do know that there's been extensive corruption in Robeson County at large regarding the involvement of law enforcement in the trafficking of narcotics. So with this particular scenario, we can't really give any validity to that, but I do think the onus is on that law enforcement community to make sure they've shown that they've really wiped the slate clean because the history is so entrenched at this point that I don't think it's an unfounded thought that that could still be going on. Moving on to the emails themselves, uh, they were sent with a service called ProtonMail, which is basically uh, where you go to send end-to-end -end encrypted emails. So this is really popular among businesses, activists, journalists that value their privacy. The email service itself became part of the cultural palette a little bit more when it was mentioned in the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandals. But beyond that, uh, they are based in Switzerland, and the U.S. does have a legal assistance treaty with that country. So in the event that we did value some information that was potentially logged away by them. We could, in theory, get that. They would be obliged to help us out. But obviously, Nick and I are not members of law enforcement that are privy to that information or that access. So for now, it's going to remain a mystery unless A wants to reach out in some way. Because average everyday people, as I understand it, without some very intense knowledge of how this stuff works, could not get past those multiple layers of encryption to find out are really where or actually who might be sending them. The name itself was kind of ominous because it was spelled backwards sinister one at proton mail and then the name given to the account was run and done almost as if to say they were dropping off the information and then evaporating which is what essentially happened because nick and i tried to communicate with them at multiple times after the initial stream of emails we covered in the transcript earlier in the episode but as you know they've been met with silence ever since speaking in totality about the emails we don't want anyone to think that we're backing them as 100 percent true or maybe even uh, anywhere near the actual truth. But if it was meant to promote a hoax of some sort, it's an oddly specific and complex hoax that mentioned names we were already familiar with. So we thought it was worth exploring. All right. Is that link I sent you working? Yep. I just pulled it up. Okay. Awesome. So uh, at this point, in the episode, you've heard the initial phone call with Nick. You've heard the transcript of the emails. So now we just want to try to make sense of what you've heard and talk about why it might actually be important. Personally, I think the biggest development now is a name that we've heard from community members and acknowledged by law enforcement, including that meeting between the FBI, medical examiner, SBI, and Lumberton PD that we got audio of. The same name referenced by local sleuths and multiple people in the community, even though some are scared to come directly forward to law enforcement, but that person is the man called O. And what makes this even crazier is that A's main point was that they're responsible for Abby's disappearance. He didn't really even reference the other women to a large degree, especially not Rhonda, Kristen, or Megan. So I think that's worth talking about. I think there's a couple reasons that could be likely. And I, I still think it's just the proximity and the drug use, in my opinion. Like To me, it's like a central drug dealer or some kind of operation 
within the proximity because all the disappearances and murders seem to have taken place in this around the same area. Would you agree? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you and I have driven through that neighborhood, I don't know, three or four times now. And Abby's house is, you know, literally right around the corner from where Megan was. And as we know, that's just blocks from Rhonda and Kristen. Uh, so as far as just general proximity, yeah, they're super close. The man called O, we know, lived in East Lumberton as well. And it's only such a big place. So part of me thinks that uh, there has to be some maybe common drug source in between all those people, um, at least the women, potentially. I know a lot of people have tried to differentiate Abby uh, in the press from the others, but respectfully, we do know that she did bear some similarities to their lifestyle, at least a little bit. Yeah, and the, his timeline, uh, after looking at the link you sent, it seems like he was actually out of jail in February of 2017, and it doesn't seem like he was incarcerated until later that year. Yeah, he's got a pretty uh, impressive rap sheet there. Uh, everything from felony B&E to communicating threats, harassing people, um, a ton of other stuff. I, I even noticed that uh, his alias is OJ. So that's either a really poor coincidence or I want, almost wonder if that's meant to say something about him from people that know him. Because the, the most outlandish thing we've heard, uh, the, you know, could be true, we don't know, is that he's, in essence, a hitman of sorts for perhaps the woman called S, the person who was upset that, uh, you know, if Rhonda and Kristen really did steal her drugs, this is who she sent after them. One, he's one of those men. Yeah, and it looks like he's still incarcerated in Craven County. Yeah, I have heard that... Uh, most folks involved with this are currently incarcerated, and the, the running theory is that maybe they're secretly being questioned to see who might roll over on who first. Yeah, and it, at this point, I don't think anyone's going to roll over on anybody. Yeah, it's been very quiet for a long time. So if, if there's information, it's held so close to the chest that uh, not even members of the press that are trying to find out, or at least we're used to, they don't know anything. Yeah, and it looks like uh, O has also escaped jail because on his rap sheet, there's a field for escaped. And, you know, to me, it's this is so interesting because you and I always debated, is this ultimately going to be a serial killer or is it really uh, more of an organized effort? One woman taking out vengeance through a series of men on these women uh, who stole drugs from her and then others for knowing or, you know, being involved somehow. So perhaps this is bridging the gap between those two ideas. Yeah, and it seems logically to make the most sense that, you know, it is all connected in some degree to the, the woman called S and now with the man named O. To me, it, unless there's some other evidence out there that we, I mean, I'm sure there is more evidence out there that we don't know, but just from the very sources that we've gotten and comparing it to the encrypted emails before we even released the episode about the woman called S, it seems pretty clear that there is some kind of connection between the cases. Yeah, before we ever even put those ideas out into the universe from the people that told us, others were giving us the same idea. So it, that does seem like maybe there could be validity to it, uh, at least in the amount it's being repeated. I, I agree. And, that, and the whole like serial killer thing, after talking to Dr. Godwin, um, was it November of 2018? Yeah. 
I mean, technically, the person called O is a serial killer. Even though it's not what you think of, you know, like Jack the Ripper and the notable names like that, he still is a person that kills out of, you know, either vengeance or payment or whatever. Yeah, and I, I think this entire experience has really changed my perspective on true crime and that, you know, people tend to glamorize the most ridiculous cases, but in everyday life, it truly is people at the bottom of society preying on each other for the worst, and it's not as easy to look at as what gets wrapped up into a uh, eloquent documentary sometimes, even though we are hoping to do the same. Yeah, that, for sure, and just being a part of, because we're a part of the local like support groups and stuff like that, and these are real people, and there's, you know, these events have caused real pain throughout the community, and you know, throughout generations of people that lived in the area. So it it's easy to, to kind of forget that these are real people and it's not just some sensationalized story. Like, this is in our backyard and it's, there's still nothing that has been done about it. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I know how I felt reading autopsy reports probably too late at night before I went to bed. And, you know, that's when you think about an, actually, an, an actual family member uh, that knows that's happened to someone they love. Uh, it's, I can't really fathom that feeling. Yeah, I, I couldn't either. And and speaking of which, you know, I, I go back and forth between how much I believe in the Rhonda and Kristen stealing drugs idea. If it is true, um, well, it's not that I don't believe in it, but I, I wonder about the intent because, you know, were they informants? Was it really about addiction? Uh, because... For this to happen, it must have been a large amount, which is, you know, what supposedly Detective Evan Whitley told Rhonda's mom. But then again, she was about to try to get her kids back in court. So you wonder what type of place she must have been at, what mindset, if she was doing that, but also stealing drugs from someone that she had been fighting in the past, had active conflicts with. It's hard for me to level that. I, I agree. I mean, even though there was trace amounts of cocaine in her system, I still, I don't know. That, to me, that's not the ultimate culprit of how she, how, how her life ended. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they all died with that in their system. And by all of them, I mean Rhonda, Kristen, and Megan. So, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily speak to them, uh, stealing the drugs. Uh, certainly Megan's not included in that scenario. She just apparently became aware of it, and it, it seems that's why she met her end. She knew too much and was handled accordingly. And, you, and you know, we don't want to get tunnel vision with this man called O idea because there are many other people that could have been involved directly or indirectly with the disappearance, the deaths of these women. Uh, some mentioned in the email outside of the man called O. We're not really saying this is what we stand behind is the truth, but... It's possible. Yeah, and all the information we keep getting leads back to this road, uh, with him being the common denominator now. Uh, we were originally focused on the woman called S to a great degree, but if he was the one primarily actually going after these women, you know, he's just as important in that scenario to take a look at and consider. I, I completely agree. Just to end on a bit of an eerie note here... Sherlyn, Rhonda's sister, when I was talking to her, this was probably months back at this point, she told me that she actually had a dream where Rhonda was saying the name of the man called O. And again, 
we haven't been saying the names of a lot of people that we know because we're not necessarily sure about the ethics of that at this point. But, uh, you know, Sherlin had that dream about Rhonda saying his name the day Sherlin and her mom thought about maybe not meeting up with us to discuss Rhonda's case. Rhonda's picture fell off the wall. If I was a more spiritual person, I might think that was the universe trying to say something. I remember that. Oh, yeah, I remember getting the chills as soon as she told us that. And like, It definitely made me think about how things have been aligning since we started this and if we're really on to something or not. Considering the amount of you know input we've been getting you know, encrypted and not encrypted, and like voicemails and just people submitting information. It's really been a huge, huge help in helping us understand what's actually going on and what's not actually going on. The more we get, the more we can kind of discern what might be a middle ground of truth there. And anything we've been sent has been helpful. So for the folks that are actually doing that, the anonymous ones and non-anonymous ones, thank you. And we hope we continue to hear from you. And that being said, since all this started from the person calling themselves A, if you're still out there, uh, you should email us again. We'd like to speak to you and see what else you know. Encrypted or not. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this kind of more off-the-cuff episode. Hopefully it wasn't too haphazard for you to keep up with. We just thought it was important enough to share as we're getting ready to finish up our Q&A episode and release that to you. Yeah, and uh, that'll be our finale for this season. We're hoping to do another season, but unless there's a big break in the case, uh, we're just going to have to wrap it up to what we have so far, to the story we have so far. Yeah, if there are developments to share, we'll definitely share them with you. But in lieu of that, we do have to try to, as Nick said, you know, bring this to a proper point of closure for the time being. And uh, that doesn't mean any of these cases are closed or anything like that. If you have information, obviously contact law enforcement, contact someone that could make things happen and bring justice to all these unsolved crimes. Especially for those in the community, speak up because we know from... Our email exchange with the FBI, their PR specialist, Shelley Lynch, that the main thing hindering this investigation is there is no solid established timeline for where these women were in the days preceding their deaths. Uh, there, there are a few leads here and there, but nothing substantial enough to construct an entire timeline. So if you're a local listening to this, even if you're not completely sure what you've heard is true, um, you know, sometimes it's the most minute detail that could actually break something wide open. So yeah. I, you know, I know that you would be sticking your neck out a lot more than Nick and I are just doing the podcast. But if you know something like that, you should speak up. And when I spoke with the FBI, I know pretty much they refer people directly to Lumberton PD. Uh, but, you know, it could be worthwhile just to contact both if you're one of those people that truly knows what has happened here, maybe what's continuing to happen. Yeah, and if you have any information or extra theories that you don't want to go to law enforcement with, always email us at uh, darkwaterpod at gmail.com. Yep, or you can call or text us, leave a message at 919-307-9331. That's 919-307-9331. Very quickly, I wanted to give a shout-out and a thank you to my anonymous buddy that helped me both in the recording of the email transcript playing the part of A, and since he has a background in the tech industry, talked to me a bit in addition to my own research about how encrypted emails work. Thank you to him. We've been really impressed so far with the outpouring, uh, especially some of the particular people that decided to contact us. So we're really looking forward to sharing all that with you as soon as we can. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We'll be with you soon.